America is a nation of immigrants. From the 1700s to 1850, immigrants from Western and Northern Europe arrived in great numbers for economic, political, and religious reasons. From 1850 to 1970, immigrants came primarily from Southern and Eastern Europe to escape violence and political instability in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Today's immigrants come from a wide array of countries. Many problems these immigrants face include poverty, unemployment, and financial illiteracy. Today, we speak with Casey Okpo, a successful labor lawyer based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and we discuss financial illiteracy within migrant communities and how these migrant communities could take advantage of all that America has to offer. Honored to be part of this podcast. Um, you know, the the host has been doing a great job. I've been listening to his content; it's great. So, very happy to be on here. Um, like uh, like he said, um, my work from a professional standpoint is labor and employment. That's that's what I do uh, for a living. Uh, but that's just a small aspect of who I am. But. I'm uh, very excited to be on the on the show and to have a conversation with my with my brother today. Awesome! Tell us a little bit about yourself, Casey. Where did you? Where were you born? Where you I, had, I, I'm I'm a Nigeria boy. I born <laughs> and raised in, uh, in in J Town. For those who don't know, um, just Plateau State. You know, one of the most beautiful um, cities in in Nigeria um, in fact it was it was a tourist attraction um, in Nigeria it was one of those cities where kind of actually prepared us uh, prior to migrating to the states from a weather standpoint we had Amatan it's not winter like they call it in the western world it's Amatan cold season um, very beautiful from a nature standpoint mountains um, just a really, really gorgeous city. Um, but that's where I was born. I was born and raised in Just City. Um, I was there until I turned 11 years old and we relocated and, and migrated to the States. Um, but yeah, I, I'm from Nigeria, born and raised in Just Plateau State. So Awesome. So um, what were the reasons for you and your family, I, I assume, to come to the United States? Yeah, yeah of course. It's twofold. Um, the answer is twofold, right? So, um, and, it, and I don't know if it's just faith or coincidence, but I know um, as we were, you know, kind of growing up, um, I'm the youngest of four, right? So I'll start off by saying I'm the youngest of four. Um, I have two older siblings uh, who are girls, and then my brother, Guy, and of course. And um, my parents always had like this focus on, you know, having their kids study abroad, especially from a collegiate standpoint, right? Going to school, going to universities in, in the US. Uh-huh. But it just so happened um, that in 2001, if you know anything about 
you know, the religious um, unrest that is in Nigeria, and, and in particular, mm-hmm. it's just um, one of the worst experiences that I've ever had in my life. Um, so we lived in just it was really it was right next to Abuja um, kind of in the middle right in the middle of Nigeria but it's part of the northern northern side of Nigeria and just was diverse right I mean it wasn't it, it just wasn't made up of just Hausa um, or Yorubars or Igbos. I mean even though it was in the north um, it was it was a very very diverse city um, and I would say from a uh, religion standpoint, it was kind of half and half, right? So 50% Muslim, uh, 50% Christian, and, you know, and a substantial amount of, you know, the Igbos, right? For those who don't know, Nigeria has three major tribes, the Yorubas, the Houses, and the Igbos. So that was kind of the makeup, right? And I, I still remember till today, some of my best friends in just uh, were Muslims. In fact, um, our next door neighbor was a Muslim. Um, went to school with a bunch of Muslims. Um, so for the most part, just was a very, um, again, like I said, it was a tourist town. It was peaceful. Um, we didn't have any prior issues. But towards the end of the uh, year 2000 um, and going into 2001, that's where stuff really started to go left. Mm-hmm. Um and to, to make a long story short, basically that was a huge motivating factor behind why we um, left Nigeria and moved to the States um, and never looked back. Like I said, part of my parents' goal was to have their kids, once they get in, become college age to study in the US, but this kind of accelerated the process um, when when um, when when this religious unrest uh, happened and so that's how we moved man um, you know I still remember till today running for cover leaving my the house that I grew up in um, and just trying to find safety um, and you know my dad's younger brother lived in Abuja and I remember you know, we were in, like in this little barrack um, during the fighting to just kind of stay safe for a number of days um, until we could get on the road and travel to Abuja and then ultimately um, leave the country and come to uh, the U.S. So to answer your question, that's that's how we ended up here, man, um, was because of that. And this is this is almost like a refugee story. Are you saying you were a political refugee or something? Or no, no, I we, we I wouldn't. We weren't. I mean, to be completely okay. transparent and honest, no, we weren't. Um, it wasn't like a refugee type of thing or um, anything like that. It was just an environment that was very, very unsafe. Um, mm-hmm. If you were one, not Hausa, which we were, we were, we weren't, were Igbo. And two, not Muslim, which we weren't, were Christians, right? So um, at that time, there was a lot of killings of non-Muslims and non-house and non-house of people in in Plateau State. Mm. Um, so a, a, a once upon a time peaceful tourist city um, completely um, um, took a, a course for the worst. Um, and 
went through that period of serious, serious unrest. I mean, you could Google the story. Um, you could you could still find um, you know stories about what happened during that time. But no, it wasn't a situation where we were refugees or whatever the case may be. It was a situation where it became very unsafe because of who we were, and so we needed to um, first um, leave our house. Um, mm-hmm. and stay in an area of safety. Um, and then once we felt it was okay to hit the road, we hit the road, got to the next major huge big city, um, and then never looked back. And we flew flew into New York and then uh, settled in Hampton, Virginia, which my parents still live in Hampton, Virginia today. So... Okay, so uh, I guess I want to switch this, uh, the direction of this question a little bit. And I want to ask, were there any financial incentives for coming to the U.S.? Because I assume you could have gone to any other country. You could have probably gone to a neighboring country if the situation was so bad. Or you could have gone to Europe or something. Sure. Why did you guys come to the U.S.? Was there a financial incentive? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. Um. I wouldn't say that was a financial incentive. Um, it was more about, again, there was already prior plans to make this move. Um, and the reason I say this is because my mother's family, um, a large percentage of them already lived in the U.S. Um, okay. Part of why we moved to Hampton, Virginia, which is where we settled, is because my mother's older sister lived in Hampton, Virginia. And again, she had already... Um, started the paperwork um, for us to 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 um, move to America, mm-hmm. um, and like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if it was coincidence or anything, but um, it just so happened that everything worked out from a timing standpoint. It was like perfect timing. Um, we were already planning on making that move because my two older sisters were getting to the age where they were graduating from secondary school and now needed to go to college. Um, And the plan all along was once that happened to make that move to the States. But then in the midst of all of that, uh, this, you know, religious unrest also happened. Um, So it wasn't necessarily a financial incentive. It was something where my parents already had that plan that once Mm -hmm. their, their their older kids got to an age to, to go to to college they wanted to um you know migrate to to the u.s um and it just so happened that my auntie had already started that process for us to to move so so we were gonna move anyways i guess uh to to kind of cut the the story short we were gonna move anyways okay you said you were 11 at the time right yeah what what did you know about america at that time what was the (laughs) I guess Bro. the streams around the rumors weren't on the street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, so anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge, um, I can't play, but knows I'm a huge basketball fan, huge Lakers fan, huge Kobe Bryant fan. So a lot of what I knew about America at the time was just from me watching the basketball games um, um, on TV or whatever. Uh, well, not live, of course, we couldn't see it live, but like, you know, already played games that, 
if you had man i can't remember what it was but if you had a certain kind of package you could kind of see uh reruns or whatever other games um and then the other thing i knew about america was like i mentioned to you on my mom's side of the family a majority of them already lived in the states so what does that mean my grandmother um which is my mother's mother uh would visit the us all the time okay so um i knew a lot about the us from that standpoint because she would come back with gifts and clothes and pictures of um her in the US with my cousins um so um so that's what i knew um one was watching sports um basketball and then two the fact that my grandmother would go back and forth so much and seeing mm-hmm. pictures of you know her time um whenever she would visit my uncles and my aunties So what were your thoughts about America at that age? Did you think it was the greatest place in the world because I've spoken to a lot of yeah. Africans and they always have this uh almost heavenly like description of America yeah, when they were young. Yeah, bro, it was nothing like what it actually ended up being. <laughs> <laughs> so what what were you expecting? What were you Let's expecting? keep it real. Like I thought like the US was just like the land of the milk and honey. Most part, it's right. I mean it's it's still i mean for everything that's going on today right at the end mm-hmm. of the day the us does provide you with ample opportunity if you want to mm-hmm. take advantage of it um but just from a kid's perspective at that time being a kid i not even a teenager yet like i couldn't wait to move right like mm. oh man like i'm going to play basketball i'm going to eat ice cream i'm going to you know pizza mcdonald's right i remember talking to my uncle uh uncles on the phone or even to my grandmother whenever she's flying back or if she was uh getting ready to leave like oh bring me mcdonald's you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you know so 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 actually to answer your question to be honest mcdonald's was what i was was what i thought about america Mm. And, and I don't know if that connects with you but like man the idea of going to McDonald's I remember till today once when we hit New York um not just me but my siblings who were looking at our dad like oh can we stop at this majestic McDonald's <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean like we yeah. wanted a burger like a, a freaking american burger right so mm-hmm. um just the whole idea of the western culture and the western world and mcdonald's and sports and you know um rap music all that stuff man that's mm-hmm. what that that's that was kind of the picture that i painted mm-hmm. um you know about america and you know like the 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 picture perfect neighborhoods um the really nice houses with fences um mm-hmm. you know what i mean like oh snow snow mm-hmm. right you know mm-hmm. all of that all of that stuff um was kind of what i was thinking about uh before coming but it's complete is exa- ended up not being uh what it, you know reality uh, mm-hmm. definitely ended up not being reality but i think that that's the beauty of it right is mm-hmm. um when you're when you're when you're migrating to a new country you have this idea of what it is 
and then over time as you grow as an individual um, and you become an adult it starts making a little bit more sense to you you start putting two and two together so so yeah I mean honestly what I thought about America was McDonald's I couldn't wait to <laughs> eat at McDonald's <laughs> Can you uh, describe the, um, because I've spoken to a lot of Nigerians and uh, they describe this uh, idea of America, how everybody goes to America and becomes really rich and they come back to Nigeria or different parts of Africa and build a house and, you know, throw a big party and flaunt their wealth. Was this the mindset that you had? Or was this the mindset that maybe potentially people in your family and maybe perhaps your dad or your mom had? Nah, that's not the mindset I had. Um, that's not the mindset my family had. Um, and I still don't have that mindset. Um, like I said, the, the, the real, if you talk to my parents today, the real, the real um, reason or, or factor behind why they made this move was mm-hmm. because of us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know my dad, like great guy. I mean, Made, made a huge sacrifice for his family, for his kids, for us, uh, because he knew um, that we would have just a much better future here. Mm. On, but on, is, I guess my question is that the prevailing culture in Nigeria to be very like uh, flaunty kind of thing to show off what you have? It? Because I don't know if it's true or not. Because most most uh, Nigerians I speak to. That's that's how they describe uh, being wealthy in Nigeria. That's something yeah. they aspire to be. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. I mean, I honestly, to be honest, I don't come from that kind of a background. I don't come from that kind of um, that kind of mindset. Um, my parents aren't like that at all. I think my my parents, my dad, just honest working people. Um, you would you would never know if he's quote unquote wealthy and rich or if he's poor right because we we were we were raised to you know just kind of have a, a even kill um personality there's no need to be flashy or flunt wealth or whatever the case may be we just raised to be real you know honest hard-working people but to answer your question yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, Nigerians definitely have that stigma, especially Igbos. Mm. Um, definitely, you know, when you talk about an Igbo man, like uh, you haven't arrived until you have the huge houses and the luxury cars and and all that good stuff, right? That's mm. absolutely the, um, the the picture that's painted. I mean, even going back to college, when in my years of college and finally meeting other Africans, right? Because when I first came, when we first moved to America, I honestly didn't make my first African friend until I got to college because um, I lived in a community or a neighborhood. I wouldn't say it was predominantly white or predominantly black. It was very diverse, right? Mm-hmm. Probably 60, 40, right? 60 white, 40 black, but not a lot of um, international people or foreign people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were there were Asians. I don't even remember Mexicans uh, being in my community at that time or in the mm-hmm. school systems that I that I grew up in in America. Um, mm-hmm. 
but the reason I was bringing that up is when I finally got to college and I, I and I found a new community of fellow Africans, uh, whether it's Ghanaians or Liberians or other uh, even other Nigerians, you know, one of the, the the things that I thought was funny as heck was you know the the Ghanaian or Liberian girls wanted to date Nigerian guys because quote unquote Nigerians came from wealthy families or rich families and and I found that to be funny because that is truly the stigma um, that Nigerians have Um, and a lot of Nigerians live up to that stigma they want to live up to it they want to be seen as successful what I would tell you though that resonates with me from that standpoint is I grew up in a background that Yes, we're not flashy, but education and career and being successful from that standpoint was everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. Like from an educational standpoint, it's like, you know, you hear the stories now about Nigerian parents. They, they go down the line with their kids and they say, okay, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. It wasn't necessarily the case mm-hmm. for me and my family I mean I'll be honest my older brother um, there was a hope that he would become a doctor he ended up not being a doctor um, mm-hmm. and me my dad always said oh you're going to be a lawyer but it wasn't necessarily because it's this pre- prestigious um, career path but more about you know my interest and in what he saw in me he realized that I really enjoyed politics and growing up as a kid, whenever he would have his friends around talking about Nigerian politics, I paid attention to it. And I, I would always ask him questions. And then from an academic standpoint, those were kind of the classes that I, I did well in. Writing, mm-hmm. government, social studies, things of that nature. So he kind of wanted guide, he wanted to like guide me towards that path. But they weren't like, you know, doctor or you're a failure or lawyer or you're a failure that wasn't the case it was more about you're going to excel from an academic standpoint and we expect because we made the sacrifice to move to America for you to have a better future and so we expect that you're going to do whatever you need to do to be successful to be financially stable to be financially independent Um, so for us that was the kind of the, the driving factor in our household um, as a Nigerian family. So from what I'm hearing, you sound like a really uh, financial, financially literate guy. You seem like you're not the type of guy that would buy the latest uh, version of the Mercedes-Benz or get the Jordans or things like that. What, can you tell me why that is? <laughs> uh, so first of all, I'm going to be honest and keep it real and say, man, listen, when I got out of law school, first thing I did was get a BMW, right? So let's, 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 let's keep it real. I'm not going to try to act like I'm, you know, this, you know, very, you know, strategic. I mean, I am strategic and I'm very financially conscious, but, um, you know, I like good things too, but to your point, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Like I, till today don't have a credit card mm. never had a credit card right and there's mm-hmm. there's a school of thought that 
oh well that's kind of stupid because in their American you know their American culture or their American way that's kind of how everything revolves around credit and building credit X Y and Z um, and, and I get it and that makes sense um, but for me I've always believed that if you can't afford it mm. if you can't pay for it cash then you you can't afford it right um, mm-hmm. so from from a financial standpoint that's what was kind of instilled in us in our house was number one there's no need to be flashy right do what you need to do to be successful and be financially independent and stable there's no need to be flashy and number two if you can't pay for a cash mm-hmm. then you shouldn't be getting credit to 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 get it right mm. so that's always and and then number three always always save for a rainy day um so those were the principles that were instilled in us um as kids growing up um and then over time that's just kind of snowballed into other things like you know for making sure that you know you're maxing out your 401k you've got investment um, um accounts and things of that nature um so so yeah finance is a huge thing um finance is a huge thing making sure that I'm not living beyond my means um, just to keep up with the Joneses. I hope that answered your question. It makes sense, but it's funny to me because you're a first-generation African. I'm a first-generation African immigrant, I, I'm sorry. And it seems like first-generation Africans don't think like this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember growing up, I, I, my dad was, you know, working odd jobs. He was borrowing money to um, uh, pay the mortgage. He was working as a pizza delivery guy, and he was a security guard, and you know he was just going from place to place. So the right. idea of like, well, you know, when we talk to him about investing or four hundred one k or stuff like that, it seemed comical. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it, it's it's funny to me when you talk and you're telling me about four hundred one ks and all these things. That my I guess my question is, where exactly like what piqued your interest in these uh in these things? Yeah, th- that's a good question. I think one is just my upbringing, number one, and then number two, just what like for me is like being strategic with my moves and what is my ultimate end goal, right? Mm-hmm. What piqued my interest is: do I want to be on the treadmill uh, from a career standpoint until I'm sixty-five? But right, mm-hmm. is that really truly what I want to do? Or do I want to be so financially stable and independent that I could choose to retire early? And for me, that is the ultimate success, right? Is yeah, right now, you know, I have a decent job and I could really live it up and have all types of cars and spend like crazy and buy all the designer clothes and things of that nature. But I'm. I'm funding that just to keep up with a lifestyle that I don't know that is sustainable mm. forever, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, what makes more sense is, okay, how can I ensure and how can I secure my financial um, well-being long-term? Mm. That's my biggest focus, 
um, I'm not thinking about now. I'm thinking about big picture. I'm thinking about in the future. I'm thinking about the ability to, of course, gaining the skills that I need to gain in the corporate setting and understanding business, um, understanding branding, like how to brand yourself. Um, and at the same time, investing my income and growing my asset so that one day if I choose to I could walk away at 40 or I could walk away at 45 or I could walk away at 35 if I really make the right moves um, and go pursue something else um, that gives me more freedom and flexibility um, to do other things that I like doing like traveling and visiting um, different places and not being stuck to a very rigid um, schedule right so that's where it comes for comes from for me uh, from a financial standpoint is I want to make sure that I'm strategic with where my money is going so that um, you know I'm financially stable and financially independent and I don't need to feel like I need to continue to work until I'm 65 to even think that I could retire and be comfortable during retirement. So financial literacy, in my opinion, is a huge deal for first, especially first generation immigrants. You know, I feel like there isn't that knowledge on, you know, how to make your money work for you. You know, people are coming from these uh, third world countries in many, in many respects. And uh, they just, have the kind the idea is just to work and pay the bills and make sure their kids are okay so my, my i guess my question to you would be how do you think we could bridge the gap between uh first generation immigration and financial literacy what what would you advise people that just come to america to do to be i guess financially secure in 10 15 20 years man i think it's a, it's, it's a matter of community each one teach one right pay it forward again um uh, listen man a lot of people who are successful a lot of millionaires and i'm nowhere close to that right but a lot of people who have attained financial security it didn't happen just from happenstance right i mean of course some people hit the lottery and sometimes they're, they're not smart enough to make that even work for them they lose all that money but the point I'm trying to say is community, mm. information, giving people the information that they need, right? Like when you hear about people being wealthy, they're wealthy because of what? Because one, they come from a family with parents who instilled that mindset in them, right? Or two, they have a friend or a family member who kind of mentored them and showed them the ropes. It's all about information. And if we're not willing to share information for people coming behind us, or if we're not willing to share information for within the community of people who have similar backgrounds and, and, and similar upbringings as us, um, then we're doing people a disservice, right? I think that it's about sharing information. And how do you share information? You share information um, in a number of ways, whether it's through your church, you're active in your church. I mean, a lot of us um, 
uh, first generation, a lot of us go to churches uh, like, you know, RCCG, whatever the case may be, um, where, you know, other Nigerians go to church there. So, like, how are we sharing this information to these people so that they stop making the right moves um, to make sure that they're securing their financial, um, you know, securing their financial well-being? It's all about information. It's all about community. It's all about um, sharing that information and making sure that people aren't being left behind. You can't make the right moves if you don't know what the right moves are. Absolutely. You got to have that information. So to answer your question, just take the step, take the initiative to share information with people that you know are new to this country, don't really understand the system, or to you know that young boy that's coming up and is going to college and doesn't doesn't is not really thinking long term and you know so you share the information with him and say hey bro when you graduate you get your first job make sure you're maxing out your 401k make sure beyond your 401k you're saving money um that is amounts to three months of um expenses you know, in a situation where, God forbid, you lose your job, make sure once you go beyond the three to six months of expenses that you're saving money where you could put it in into a Roth IRA or you could put it into your health savings account. Make sure your number one thing, the simplest thing, is make sure you're you're taking advantage of the of the free money in your company's phone. Like, it's crazy to me where people really don't know about this stuff Mm. like you're literally if you're not putting money into your 401k you're literally potentially losing out on that percentage that your company is matching that's free money you know what i mean it's funny it's funny but let's i want to take you back for a second you know you talk about information but i also want to talk about misinformation and i, I want to share a perfect example i remember when me my parents and i first came to the u.s and we went to our like our church community it turned out that most people that come from africa come to america you know their community misinforms them you know, I remember my mom coming to the U.S. and the first thing they told her was, "Oh, you know, go be a go uh, be a CNA. You know, just go work at these uh, uh, home health aid and just help these people." And then you realize that it's almost a vicious cycle because everybody that came before her did the home health aid, and everybody that came after her, you know, they keep telling them to do the home health aid. So there's also that misinformation aspect of it and and i feel like that comes from being in a bubble and like group thing absolutely so when you come from you're coming from africa you're coming into a community with mostly africans that don't have information about 401k most of these guys don't even really have jobs that offer a 401k option right you know what I'm saying? So, yeah absolutely man that's that's a great point you hit on you know there's the they're saying that you're only as good as the closest five people um, to you right and so it's like how do we make sure um, that you know people who are coming from Africa to your point aren't getting stuck in that bubble mm-hmm. right I mean and again where do you meet the most people when you come from Africa usually in your church 
okay so how do we make sure that the information that is needed to be successful in this country um, is reaching people mm-hmm. um, at the rate and at the level that it needs to be reaching people because yeah I mean in most African communities across the country um, you find a lot of those CNAs uh, you find a lot of those taxi drivers right so they, they, they take on this this jobs but but let's take a step back too okay um, I think that a lot of those individuals who end up um, in the CNA positions or this taxi driver jobs are parents right um, so how do we solve that problem because our parents are at that age where they're maybe in their mid 40s or it depends on when they come okay mm. so let me preface it by saying it really depends on when it depends on at what stage in that person in that person's life what stage are they in their life are they a 15 year old kid are they a 25 year old young man are they a 25 year old young woman are they a 40 year old man with a family a young family are they a 50 year old man with you know a family with teenagers it really depends right so maybe that 50 year old is not necessarily looking to go back to school to get a job above and beyond becoming a taxi driver right but for me where where we really need to make the most impact and I'm not saying forget about the more seasoned older immigrants what we really need to make an impact is on the younger generation okay because man how much of a disservice did we do to that 15 year old if he ends up not taking advantage of these things that are available to him or available to her and and he's not informed right like how much of a disservice are we doing to that 30 year old woman um, with a young child coming from Ghana or coming from Nigeria if she just ends up becoming a CNA her whole life when she could really have spent a couple years getting her uh, bachelor's degree and becoming a, a, a nurse, a nursing practitioner, or even beyond that, getting an engineering degree um, or going to med school, whatever the case may be. At 30 years old, your life is still ahead of you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So how much of a disservice are we doing to these are we doing to these individuals by not providing them the right type of information that they need to be successful in this, you know, in this economy in America, in this society. So I think that it's about getting them while they're young and really coaching and mentoring them through the process, through the stages, right? So if you're a 14-year-old young man um, and I go to the church that your parents are going to, I feel like my responsibility is to take you under my wings and say, hey, bro, you're you're 6'5 or you're 6'2. Go play sports. Um, here's what you need to do to study for your ACTs and your SATs. Um, here's some extracurricular activities that you could take on. Um, you know, start looking at colleges. You know, what can you, if you're not going to go the, the athletic route, what can you do to get academic scholarships? Does it make sense for me to go to a community college for two years and get your, your you know, your kind of your um, 
first and second year classes under your belt. Yeah, your prereqs before going to a four-year university from a cost standpoint to make sure that if you're not getting an academic scholarship or you're not getting an athletic scholarship, you're cutting down on the student. Oh, man, student loans could be a conversation in and of itself. You know what I mean? Um, So how are we making sure that people are getting the right information that they need to have at the different stages of life that they're in when they come to the U.S. So I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head when you describe the different stages because I know you're coming from Africa, like my parents did. My, I think my mom was probably in her mid to late thirties. My dad was in was in his forties, and uh, when they first came, and you're coming with three children, right? You know, like you have to get a job. You know what I'm yep. saying? You have to you have to hustle. You have to do what you have to do to keep the roof on your head. And to, to put food on the table. So it's definitely different based on the time you come, your marital status, your, you know, if you have children and stuff. So it, it definitely, there's definitely like, I would say, resolutions to each group of people. So my question to you would be, okay, let, let, let's say I, um, I bring you into my community of Africans and you have a five-step proposal for financial um financial literacy or financial independence in 10 years what are your five key points that you would give to these people yeah again again it depends on what stage um in life they're in okay it really really depends on that um so so to the to the older folks let's say to the ages between 35 and 45 what would you tell these people so 35 okay so say um you're 35 years old and you come here to the states on your own with children um i i want to i want to these are married folks now so okay 35 to 45 year old married folks with children what is the financial what is the literacy uh, financial literacy advice you would give to these people 35 35 to 45 man to me i think you're still young and for even for a 45 year old um from from a U.S. standpoint, you still got 20 years, 22 years of work ahead of you, right? So for me, number one, figure out what are those skills that you already had in Nigeria or Ghana or wherever you're coming from um, before you got here. Figure that out first, right? Mm. And then in the meantime, try to find a job um, that will pay you maybe not necessarily handsomely but will pay you enough for you to live comfortably okay so what I mean by that is say for example you, we have a 45 year old who was uh, a college professor in Nigeria and he had a 35 year old wife who let's say she was a nurse or maybe an accountant in Nigeria and you're coming to this country to me, you already have a solid foundation to be successful, and you're in this country, um, and you're still relatively young to be able to take advantage of everything the U.S. economy has to offer and the U.S. government has to offer. So the 45-year-old has 20 to 22 years of work available, and the 35-year-old has 30 to 32 years of work available. So if you're an accountant, or you're a school, you're a school teacher. What can you do in the meantime um, to set yourself up here so that you have a good-paying job that would allow you to start contributing towards retirement? 
okay mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity you you could you could you could go back to school and become a you know a graduate assistant if you want to stay in the academic um, realm and become and become a professor your your wife could you know go back to school and try to get her CPA or whatever the case may be um, this will be like a three to five year plan where you could then attain that professional career that will allow you to be successful so what I would say is figure out what skill and the, the skill set that you had um, when you were in Nigeria and how that could translate in America and then how do you maximize that skill set do you have to go back to school or can you literally use your experience and tailor a resume to um, in such a way that will allow you to apply for those good paying jobs and then once you get into those good paying jobs take advantage of the 401k matches take advantage of you know retirement and, and everything that the, the company has to offer for you um, have a savings plan right have a budget I think this is the biggest thing people miss is people don't have a budget literally having a budget has saved my life right because I've been able to plan okay every month this is absolutely drop dead the amount of money that I will spend okay like I'm not going above this amount of money every month from a bill standpoint or from entertainment whatever the case may be everything else is going into a savings account or into some kind of investment account have a budget a budget is the biggest thing regardless of what stage in life you're in having a budget is huge having a budget is huge and being able to put away x amount of money in savings is huge now let's be realistic okay say you come to this country and you you may not have you know the professional experience that will allow you to translate into a decent paying job and you have to take on you know um you know a, a taxi driver job and, and now i'm not saying anything wrong with this but you have to do those jobs in the meantime to build up your skill set nothing wrong with that do that right but have a plan don't i would say the biggest thing is don't limit yourself to what you are currently okay make sure that while you're in that financial position where you don't have a lot of flexibility and wiggle room that you're spending enough time to make yourself better hmm. okay um, see, I, I, I want to I interject really quickly because what I seem to be hearing you say is uh, you, you're um, kind of talking the, the old school route the, the way I the, the way I would like to call it you know the idea of get back in school become a CPA become a engineer or whatever you know but is I my question to you is that still relevant in 2020 um, especially now where people are getting certificates and holding down six-figure jobs you know are, are you still do you still think people still need to go to school for let's say three years and get a degree or do you think there are other means especially in like gig economies like this do you think there are other means to be successful in 2020 that's a good point so i think that that's why i talk about 
figuring out what skill set you already had prior to coming to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like, what can you easily get into? What is what can you what skill set is transferable mm-hmm. in the U.S. Right. So it may mm-hmm. not have to necessarily be um, going back to college or whatever the case may be. But in those in in those situations or in those examples that I talked about, you know, I think long term making those steps where you've had that professional experience in Nigeria mm-hmm. now how can you how can you um, kind of figure it out in the US and be able to attain the, the same level of job in the US but you're absolutely correct absolutely. Um, there's there's so many opportunities now in this you know to your point the gig economy mm. where even you know, IT people are making a ton, a ton of money, and they don't have to go to college. They just need to get a certificate. But I think I heard, I heard plumbers make a lot of money too. Plumbers make a lot of money. Truck drivers make a lot of money. There's so many different mm. occupations that aren't academic driven that make a lot of money. I think that for me to really answer your question, there's no one size fit all for everyone's situation. Everyone's situation is going to be unique. Um, but I think the one size fit all answer for everyone's situation is one, figure out what skills you have. What are you good at? Right. Mm-hmm. Two, what kind of life do you want to live? Right. Mm-hmm. Once you figure those two, those two things out, then set a plan in motion. Right. Mm-hmm. And try to accomplish those goals. And then from a financial standpoint, absolutely set a budget for yourself that Mm -hmm. are in line with the goals that you're trying to accomplish Um, absolutely set a budget for yourself and take advantage of again like the gig economy maybe you can't necessarily take advantage of you know 401k plans XYZ but their IRA accounts where you could put your money in um, and invest it in the market tax-free and let it grow over time. Um, so so that's what I would say, man. Absolutely. And just to add to your point, uh, with the, I know growing up, I heard of the stock market, but it was always something that was aloof. You know, it was always far away. It was something that I couldn't really understand or comprehend. But in 2020 now, there's all these apps that you could literally buy stocks from your phone yeah you know so i feel like this is information there are apps like Robinhood, for example uh and webull there's so many other so many apps out there and i feel like this is information that we need to uh relate to first generation migrants you know buying facebook let's say like you said about making a budget let's say um taking out 10% of your budget or of your salary every month to, to buy stocks for example these are you know these are uh, there's technology now that make all these things so attainable to people and I feel like there's this bible verse that says my people perish because of lack of knowledge mm-hmm. I feel like because knowledge isn't prevalent in these communities that's why you know people tend to go around in circles kind of like that yeah. the wheel you know just uh, get a taxi car Get, drive a taxi be a security guard be a nurse be a C- cra i mean i mean uh, a regular nurse and things like that so i like like just to, to, to add to your point i think that 
information is key information is definitely key yeah i i agree too i would i would say this though to your robin hood point and i think you already know this i would not advise anyone who is not well astute and well informed and has an actual investment strategy to dump money into robin hood because to me you know trading individual stocks and this is a completely different conversation is gambling even for people who know what they're doing right um but is it good information to, to know uh, that this is you know um accessible to you on your smartphone absolutely um but preference that with you can also lose a lot of money doing that you know and maybe focus more on the bigger companies that are too absolutely. big to fail I, I definitely wouldn't advise anybody to go <laughs> and mess around in penny stocks, you know, like taking your hard-earned money and putting it into penny stocks. But I, I think that if uh, people, for example, just come from Africa, come from these countries, they, and they don't understand how the stock market works, I feel like the very basics could be, hey, maybe you could just buy uh, Facebook every month. Yeah. You know, Facebook is on Am- Facebook is on Robinhood, so you can That's buy Facebook true. every month buy uh, all these uh, companies so I, I th- these are extreme circumstances where um, people that are just coming from Africa don't have this literacy you know right. just uh, understand the very basics of investing right like that's that, that was just going towards my point absolutely I, yeah. I agree I agree but yeah those, the, the resources that are out there man and I think um, it's on us uh, those of us who have been in, in this system for a while and we're starting to try to figure it out to reach back out to people who are new in the system and and, and try to show them the ropes. Absolutely. So before we uh, round up, I just want to ask you, what is your 10-year plan? What, what oh, man. That's, that's a good question. That's a really good question because <laughs> I'm still... Um, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. I think I ha- I have an idea. You're you're 30 right now, right? Yep, I just turned 30. Um, um, I just turned 30. In 10 years, I'll be 40, which is scary to think about, but it's all <laughs> it's it's all a blessing. Absolutely. Um, but I you know I can give you kind of the canned answer about what my 10 year plan is, right? So I want to continue to grow my network. I want to continue to. I, I, I don't know if I would say that I necessarily want to climb the corporate ladder. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily like, you know, my goal per se. But I would tell you that in 10 years, um, I hope that I'm in a better financial situation than I am today. Um, I, I hope that in 10 years that I'm impacting people, whether it's, it's, it's through information sharing um or whatever the case may be but you know i think that a lot of times we do ourselves a disservice by not realizing what we have and how what we have could um really help the next person um and and i'm not necessarily saying what we have from financial standpoint just but just from knowledge and experience right you can think about your 
think about your life and some of the moves you've made um, that you wish someone may have advised you not to make that move, right? So how can you help the next Samuel coming up? Um, so for me, I hope that in 10 years that I'm, I'm in position to, to make an impact at a large scale. Um, and then, of course, uh, to be in a better financial position than I am today. So, um, retirement? Retirement in 10 years, baby? Man, that would be beautiful. That's, <laughs> so so high-level high level answer to your question, yes. The ability to have the, you know, the flexibility and the freedom to do other things, um, which probably means retirement from corporate America. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Any any uh, last words before we wrap this up? Yeah, man. Um, I hope everyone stays safe during this COVID season. Um, you know, happy to, to 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 have had the time to jump on this podcast. Uh, God, Africa, and everything else. Great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, definitely uh, check it out. Really, really good topics. Uh, previous topics that were discussed on this podcast. So, um, thanks, thanks for having me on, and uh, hope to uh, come back again later at some point. Awesome, definitely, man. We would uh, love to have you back on the show. Thank you so much, Casey, for taking the time to uh, jump on the call with me. Yes, sir, man. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.